Art of the Kickstart, Episode 82. Welcome to the Art of the Kickstart.com, where entrepreneurs are constantly pushing the envelope to build businesses of greatness. Inventors are innovating, creating the products of the future, and backers stand strong for what they believe. These are some of the great thinkers, inventors, and leaders of our time. Here are their stories. Guys, I don't always recommend crowdfunding fulfillment, but when I do, I prefer eFulfillmentService.com. Guys, launching a Kickstarter campaign isn't exactly easy. That's why the majority of Kickstarters fail, despite how hard editors work. I put together a free six-step email mini course to try to eradicate this evil issue and help inventors and entrepreneurs everywhere. If you guys go to artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, you can get the new and improved six-step guide that's going to walk you step-by-step through making your Kickstarter, your crowdfunding campaign happen. Check it out, artofthekickstart.com slash checklist, and make your crowdfunding dreams happen. Guys, welcome to Art of the Kickstart. Today, I am pumped to have Daniel Lee, aka Ewok, on the line to talk about Hush. The world's first ever smart earplugs. These guys have raised almost $400,000, and Daniel's crushing it. We're here to tell the story. Thanks for coming on, Daniel. No problem, Matt. No problem. So, Daniel, I hear you don't have a life quote, a success quote. So we're going to have to improvise (laughs) a little bit. What's something Uh that's been huge in your life, something that really led you down this path of entrepreneurship? Tell us a story. Okay. I think, personally, I haven't – entrepreneurship wasn't anything – wasn't even on my mind until – it happened really. I was I was on a lot of different career paths growing up as a growing up in an Asian family. I think by default I had to be a doctor, and I was like, okay, I'll be a doctor. I'll go down the medical route. Went down that for a bit, and in high school, I mean, this this is early when I was young growing up. I was like, okay, I'll be a doctor. And then when I went into high school, I had to do this internship as required by my school, and I kind of just slacked off and I didn't sign up or look at look for any internships. And I was just kind of thrown an internship. Like forced into one just because I hadn't signed up for anything, and it was an engineering internship. And that's kind of where I, I guess my like passion for engineering like sparked. I just ran, randomly went to this firm and just spent a couple hours, like forty hours there a week, and started loving the, the the topic. And that's kind of where I went over to engineering. And then when I went to college, I was doing engineering for a while, and I was set on a lot of different paths. Initially, I was like, okay, I want to be a professor, and then I started to be like, oh, I want to do more practical, hands-on stuff. I'll, I want to work in industry. And then in my senior year of college, I just randomly took this entrepreneurship class just because I needed like a technical elective to fill and it seemed pretty easy. And that's where actually the hush started. So my first like, I guess, entrepreneurial idea that I actually tried to execute on, at least for a class, was the first thing that I made into a company. So that's where hush, hush began. And that's where entrepreneurship just kind of like I stumbled into it in a sense. I didn't I wasn't born into it. No one in my family owns a business. But it just kind of it just happened, and I'm loving it. That is incredible, and you're hitting it off on the first time. I think that is <laughs> that is a story that a lot of people can relate to. You just don't really fit into one of the other categories. You're just kind of going through, and it kind of just hits you, and it clearly hits you pretty strong. So you're building this in college. How does that work? How does it work with IP? Work with building a team? Work with turning it into a serious business? Take us through that from the eyes of recent college grad. Yeah. So. I guess it started from a class project, and in the beginning of the class project, they made it very clear that this is everything in the class, because they really want to spur entrepreneurship. So they're like, everything in this class, there's no school school rights to it. There's nothing UCSD. So I went to UC San Diego. They said UCSD is not going to put their fingers into into this. It's all your own IP. It's all everything. Everything's your own. 
And so that's where, so that's, that was nice. And that would really helped or myself as an entrepreneur to actually want to continue to pursue the, pursue the business. Cause I knew that there wasn't like a big hindrance right off the bat. And I think what it had, what, how it just constantly grew was it was a culmination of all of the different programs that my school offered. So my school, the class I took at the end of the competition, the winning teams got to take two grand to try to build the product in an actual prototype. And that was like winning. So we won that. And that was probably one of the initial steps to like for me to actually be inspired to actually want to do something because I actually had some money to build something with. It was, it was cool. So that's where it started. And I, it just what happened was I just kept on pitching the idea. Like at my school, there was a bunch of competitions, pitch competitions similar to Shark Tank, where you'd have like investors and different people just sit down and critique your business and you pitch them in front of an audience. And I was terrible at that initially, but it was just constant exposure and constant showing the idea and talking about the idea with other people that the idea formed more and more into what it is now. So I think that's what it was. Like we won a couple competitions and that kept on driving the momentum for me to want to keep pursuing the idea and want to keep actually making this thing happen. And that was actually vital for me to actually bring some of my co-founders on board. So my other two co-founders, both are named Daniel, and that was only sort of on purpose, but they had plans in their own right. And they have, they could do a lot of things on their own. It was very hard to convince them to be, to join me on this very risky journey, just join me in my idea in a sense. So, and then to make it their own. So that's where how do you go through a challenge like that? That is a big challenge for people trying to bring on co-founders. So it's kind of like driving the momentum. So when we were winning competitions, I was winning competitions. I was showing these guys like, hey, dude, this is something legit. This is something that people are getting excited about. And I would try to make them come to the events and see what's going on. And that, I think, just showing them traction. And that's kind of what is always the case is just show people traction, whether it's investors, whether it's your co-founders, you show them traction and become like inspired and excited to be a part of it. So that's where... I think that's what was vital to bringing guys on board was just showing them traction, showing them why winning competitions. And that was kind of how I, how I got them on board. So there's a lot of inspiration required and in inspiring others, everyone around you. So, yeah. But it's easy to have an awesome locker room when you guys are winning. You're hitting off the Super Bowl. What happens in some of those lows? Because entrepreneurship is never always a high. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, I think I mean, that's where it's choosing the co-founders wisely is critical there. Luckily... For one of my co-founders, I had been his roommate for two years, and I've known him for like throughout all, all of college and known him pretty well. So that's that was one of the main metrics or reasons why I wanted him on board. It's just people with high like emotional IQ that can like discuss their thoughts and their feelings well. That that was critical, and just getting along with people. So if you get if you get along with people, I mean, you're gonna have a lot of like clashes because because of, of the lows, and it's gonna happen. But I think if you are if you guys just are good friends and you guys are able to really talk out emotions and rationalize with each other, things can work out. So that's kind of what has worked for us. I'm not sure that that works for everyone, but that's what has what has been working for us. I think that's huge for people to hear. The founder is like taking on a spouse, except for there's no extra benefits. So let's let's <laughs> exactly. jump into you guys now, into Hush. So you're building this business. You guys have raised three hundred eighty-four thousand. Why crowdfunding? Why'd you come here? I mean, I think crowdfunding is. Probably the biggest like rite of passage for a hardware company. It's probably the best rite of passage where you have you're gonna get funds, you're gonna get people excited and passionate about your product, and like people sharing by word of mouth. It's a huge like press, like a time for press to cover you as well. We've been getting very lucky and getting a lot of exposure with press reaching out to us. So I think 
if I would have to summarize, it's like exposure to like just the world. You have exposure to backers and people jumping on board that are like very excited about what what you're doing and really eager to share. You get money and then it's like a big validator to investors going forward because you're proving to them that the market exists. All the comments that people are pouring in are showing people like, wow, there are people that are really excited about what this product could do for their lives. And you can extrapolate that to the more general public. So when you show that to an investor, it's a very public number as well. So you can just straight up link them to your Kickstarter campaign. And it's a huge first like a first impression for any investor you speak with. So there's a lot of things that it's just the perfect avenue for a hardware company to come out on. It is absolutely perfect. I just had a post on VentureBeat, why hardware startups should screw VC and go straight to crowdfunding. And it is awesome. so true. You just you just go hard and you get all of this coverage, all of this success. But what you guys do to lead up to this, what you do with pre-launch, with marketing, with reaching out to try to get as much bang for your buck as possible? Yeah, I think so. Some of the things that we did, I mean, you'll go online, Google it, and you'll find like hundreds of articles telling you what to do. I think we've done a lot of the things, but I think the most valuable things, valuable things to us has been one, building up a mailing list prior to the launch. So we had a website up and we had a value proposition. We made a nice looking website and we had a subscription thing on the bottom saying, hey, sign up here, put your email email here, sign up, and then we can, uh, we'll give you an update too so that we can make sure you get the early bird discount when we launch a Kickstarter. And we built up about 800 to 900 mailing list people and we had these people uh, kind of excited and we were like constantly like spurring them and giving them little updates prior to the launch, like building up the excitement. And like one of the things that we did right on the bat was right before the day before we launched, we told them, hey, we're going to launch at 8 a.m. tomorrow. The first person to like back us, we're going like, to give, give them a shout out. And they were, that actually triggered a good number of people to like, we had like like 10 backers within like five minutes. And I think that was pretty big. It's just getting that mailing list and getting people to jump on board right off the bat so there's no time for the Kickstarter to just sit there with zero dollars and just sit there awkwardly waiting for someone to do a first investment. Like you want early traction really fast. And I think that like compounded to other things. Like we got really fast early traction that we were bumped up the Kickstarter popular list. And we got a lot of more exposure just by being up in the popular page of Kickstarter where people organically found us through that. So that has been a doubt that that overall, like that initial having a good launch in the beginning is very critical and building up to that. We did the the website, uh, like collecting a mailing list and, I think other than that... How'd you drive traffic um, to your landing page? To the page? We actually had just been doing it for the most part organically where, I mean, we, we have been in the San Diego community, like pitching at all these events. Uh, we're in an incubator, one of the more well-known ones in San Diego. And we had won a couple events and got into the newspaper a couple times. So that's where we drove some of the traffic. But we also had experimented with Facebook ads and we put some, like we put $5 a day into ads. We don't think that that really drove any traffic or any significant traffic that we got too many subscribers, but that was one of the things that we tried. But yeah, I think uh, actually, I think that was that was actually pretty significant. Now that I remember, just having we drove some traffic through uh, through Facebook ads, and that was actually that was actually pretty good. Let's see, but for the most part, it's just over the five months that we were working on it prior. There's just times of exposure. To just it was very like grassroots where we're meeting with people and we're just pitching our idea and we're just sharing with them, giving them business cards and swapping and occasionally they'd sign up for our mailing list. So it's just building up that list over five months and somehow we got up to 800 people. So I'm yeah. sure having an awesome product definitely helps you guys out. 
I want to I want to jump into <laughs> some of the some of the challenges though now. So you're building a hardware okay. software based product. How do you get this manufactured? How do you make this happen, especially when you don't have a lot of experience? Yeah. So that was a huge huge concern for us. We're coming out of college, we're a bunch of scrubs in a sense. I'm an engineer. I'm a mechanical engineer. I did pretty well in school, but I look at the face of manufacturing thousands of units and I have no idea what I'm doing. So we actually partnered with an engineering firm. And that was the first thing that we did coming out of college was we looked up all of the nearby uh, engineering firms in San Diego and we were like trying to vet them and see which one was the best fit for us as a company. And that was kind of how we approached it. Rather than trying to mess up and do this ourselves, we did a lot of it ourselves. We built initial prototypes, but rather than like trust ourselves to do that. We just partner with a firm that has done this like for 30 years, like over and over again. So that's where we're drawing from. So we're working with the expertise of another firm. And that's huge for people that haven't done this before. Find someone else who can help you make it happen. I want to jump into the launch round. Yeah. Now. How's that sound, Daniel? All right. Guys, before we jump into the launch round, we're going to take a quick time out to tell you about today's show sponsor, eFulfillmentService.com. Honestly, this is a great company to work with if you're crowdfunding or build an e-commerce company and you don't want to worry about fulfillment, shipping your products and rewards out to backers. That's one of the hardest things that Kickstarter campaigns have is getting those rewards out to backers on time. From manufacturing to shipping them out, it's a huge headache. Deal with eFulfillmentService.com, artofthekickstart.com, slash EFS to get the best deals ever. Welcome to the launch round where we take our guests through a series of rapid-fire questions geared towards unlocking the inner inventor and entrepreneur in all of us. Get ready to blast off and unlock your inner potential. Let's do this. So, Daniel, you studied engineering, entrepreneurship in college. Do you think that's something that entrepreneurs need today? I think you need a basic foundation to learn, to know how to speak the language. There's a vocabulary in, in like entrepreneurship that you need to be able to speak the right words or everyone's going to just think you're a joke. So yeah, I think you want some kind of a baseline. Maybe it doesn't have to be a class at school, but you want to at least educate yourself either through the internet or attend some kind of night school or just something like listen to some podcasts, but learn the language. Yeah. You need to have, need to have some chops, some credibility. Let's say that you'd never <laughs> invented hush. You come out, you're okay. of college, you graduate, but you want to still be an entrepreneur and inventor. How do you come up with a cool idea? Something worth doing. Um, so I'm really big on, as I look at a lot of projects, there's a lot of, like, it's like, seems like a, it looks, it has like a cool design, which is like, things can look cool, but like you look at the, the heart of it and you just look at what, it, what problem is it solving? It's just really, I'm very problem based. I, Hush came from my, the inspiration for Hush just came from me not being able to sleep through loud, loud neighbors partying or my roommates being loud. But I think that's where it is. It's find the very acute pain that is very, uh, like it's good that if it's your own acute pain, like something that you're struggling with in your own life, and then just try to find a solution for that and then market that. So that's the biggest thing is what's rather than look for like a invention, just look for a problem and then try to find a solution to that problem. Absolutely. Entrepreneurship 101. You're just solving people's problems. Have there been any exactly. inventors or entrepreneurs you looked up to as role models growing up or since starting the business? I mean, there's all those success stories of like, I mean, you look at Mark Zuckerberg and those those Facebook things that those kind of inspire you to kind of, I guess, they, they inspire you to like, they just get you excited. But I think, I don't know if there's any necessary, let me think. Who would you want to meet? Who would you want to talk to? I don't think there's necessarily one like inspiration. I mean, I would love to talk, I would love to be able to talk with like Mark Zuckerberg and get pitch the guy. But uh, I don't think there's any particular single project. I mean, there's a lot of cool Kickstarter projects that like I look to and like I'm like learning from it, seeing what they did. 
I know there's one. I'm trying to think of. I know there's at least one hardware one. I mean, since because my my entrepreneurship career has been very short. I mean, I just started it like a year ago in college, and I think like seeing some of the companies like Tile and Coin, and seeing their execution, seeing like what can happen with like how hardware can like seeing those like huge success stories of a hardware product got me really excited. And those are kind of my inspiration to like, hey, I can do the same with Hush. I can make this explode in the same way. So that's my, since, since my career has been very short, my inspiration is very short-sighted. And it's just, I would say Tile and Coin have been two big ones that I've, I've been following and learning from. That's awesome. I'll have, to, I'll have to check those out. I'm not familiar with those. And my next question okay. for you, you're making an awesome wearable product, something I could definitely see being valuable, especially in college when people are allowed. Where do you see the future of wearables yeah. going 5, 10, 20 years down the road? Let's get a bold prediction, something like that. Yeah, I think... So I have a kind of very different perspective on wearables where I feel like I see a lot of wearables and they're very limited to like just tracking data and then trying like it's their value strikes me as very not so much solving like being a solution to a problem, but just kind of being a cool feature that it doesn't solve an acute pain point. I think that's where like, for example, you have a lot of sleep wearables that are just this is like part of the pitch in my Kickstarter video, but you see a lot of sleep wearables tracking sleep data only to tell people, hey, your sleep quality sucks. And like it stops there. Like they, there's a very little that they can do other than track. I think wearables, I would like to believe that they're going to evolve more into things that are act, like action based where, for example, in ours, we have like we're playing sound and we're like allowing, like helping you to block out noise rather than just telling you you're being kept up by noise at night. So I think that's where I would like to see wearables go. It's the idea of like sensors versus like actuators of like, rather than just collecting data, like do like make an action and an impact into a person's life. So I don't know what that entails. Like when I think about it, like there are, you have like hearing, you can make sounds, you can make light, you can make heat, you can do like, make like motion. And I, I would like to see wearables actively helping people rather than just passively tracking data. That's kind of my insight into seeing how wearables might be more mass market eventually when they actually do a little bit more than just track data to your phone. Yeah, when you become a little bit more cyborg-esque, right? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. It's a, yeah, I guess you could say that. Whereas future of wearables is being a cyborg. <laughs> Absolutely, and Google's pumped. So let's jump back to you guys, back to the business. So you've been doing right. this. You've raised over $1,000 since we've been talking on this call. So congratulations, by the way. But you, awesome. you guys cool. you guys are crushing it. You got three weeks left. What are you doing to finish strong? And then what happens next? Yeah. I mean, I think we have a lot of, we're learning a lot as we go forward. In our, in our Kickstarter campaign right now, we're finding more and more people are messaging us about their need. They're suffering from like tinnitus. It's like a tinnitus, for those that don't know, is just like a ringing in your ear that is paired with hearing loss. And a lot of times it becomes very annoying when you're trying to sleep. Because every the ambient noise around you gets kind of quiet in a bedroom, generally, and that noise becomes very annoying. And uh, really, the only way to deal with it, there's no cure in a sense, but doctors will prescribe like these $4,000, in essence, they're like our product, but they're dumb. They just play white noise. So they prescribe these $4,000 little machines that people put in their ear, and they just use that to help drown out their tinnitus. And those people are becoming actively like passionate, and we're finding them like spreading the word about our product. And I think that's where, as we're, le we're learning from the campaign and to like continue to spur this on, we're going to kind of really help like 
continue to tap into that and continue to interact and engage with these with these backers. So I think that's a big area that we see we're going to tap into. At the same time, it's just continually driving the momentum and getting everyone excited about what we're doing and excited to share and continually trying to get more press as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things to do. And at the same time, be pushing forward the business and completing engineering and doing all the other elements too. So there's, there's a lot to do with these next three weeks. Yeah, you got like seven full-time jobs at this point. So just keep going strong, right? <laughs> yeah. So Daniel, you've been awesome. We got to start wrapping this interview up, but I want one piece of advice right. for inventors, entrepreneurs out there. If you could tell them one thing, what would it be? One thing would be just pitch, constantly pitch. Like there's no need to hide your secret idea. Someone's probably thought of it. Like people have thought of this idea of like, or at least that idea of an earplug alarm clock a thousand times. And we, if we just stuck with it and, and like hid it to ourselves, we would have never evolved it into the smart earplug that it is, now, it is now. So that's my biggest thing. Like pitching and getting in front of people, you get to let your product evolve. You get to have more people interested in what you're doing and know what you're doing. And it's just that has been the most valuable thing to me moving forward is just getting your product idea out there. Yeah, you, there's no reason to be scared. You just do it. It's all about execution. If people like it, yep. they'll get behind you. Thanks for coming on today, Daniel. Right. You've been really cool to talk to. You're an example of a young guy who's doing it. You're crushing it. But it's not just some social media company. You're building something solid, something hardware based. It's been awesome. <laughs> Where can people reach out? Thank you. Check out the Hush campaign or get some better sleep. Uh, check out, just go to the Kickstarter. <laughs> We're always there. We're monitoring it 24-7. Absolutely, 24-7 with a couple extra hours <laughs> in between. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> thanks for tuning in, guys. Daniel, you've been awesome. All right, thanks, Matt. Hey, guys, I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Art of the Kickstart, where we believe inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs are changing the world and bringing humanity forward into the future. If you liked the ideas in this episode, or you're interested in learning more about crowdfunding and how to kill it with your own Kickstarter campaign, you can check out more at artofthekickstart.com. And if you've been listening to the show, love the episodes, but you're not subscribed, that's got to change. You can go to artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher and get the episodes delivered magically to your phone. And if you like the show, I would love you forever if you leave a review on iTunes. It helps more aspiring inventors and creators out there find the show and find the information they need to kill it on Kickstarter. Until next time, thanks for tuning in, guys, and have an absolutely epic day. <laughs>